Welcome back, brothers and sisters. And we're going to continue our theme looking at some of the claims that Muslims make. In the last session, we looked at uh, claims of ennoblement, and then we looked at the surrounding verses um, of the of verses that they claimed elevated the position of woman and brought about equality between man and woman. So we're going to continue that theme, looking at Muslim claims and the way they approach their religion, and then we're going to give responses and unpack that a little bit. We've just been talking in the last session about the asbab al-nuzul, the context of revelation. It's a very important idea in Islam. It's very difficult for the non-Muslim to get their head around because it's such a vast science or interpretive science within Islam itself. And, it, and you have to read book after book and exegete after exegete to try find the different contexts for the, all the Quranic verses. And what makes it even harder is that different scholars have different opinions on what context actually uh, was true to the event. Now, the historian looks at this, the Muslim accepts it, but the historian looks at this and they think, how on earth would someone have known the context of something that happened two to three hundred, even four hundred years earlier? And that's a very legitimate, historically critical question that must be asked of the Muslim scholars and our Muslim friends. But regardless of that, many Muslims just take it at face value that they have this context, that it's reliable, and that the exegetes through the histories of Islam, history of Islam, they knew what the context was, and they often don't realize there's sometimes hot debates um, between what actually happened within those different sources and there's contradictions within those different writings of, of the context of Revelation. So we looked at one equality verse. We saw how um, these equality verses were given according to Muslim tradition, not according to reality, and not according to what we think actually happened in history, but just according to Muslim tradition. Uh, we've shown how there have equality verse, Surah 33, 35, and then you look at the surrounding verses, they gave a context of the revelation, and it was in response to Muslim women um, complaining to Muhammad, why does Allah leave us out in the revelation? Then Allah responded and started to include them into the revelation. So we're now going to look at a couple of other things. We're going to go a little bit deeper into Surah 33, really important chapter. Then we're going to go look at a modernist claim that this book, whilst it may appear to be a pro-male, that's not, in reality it isn't. We're going to un unpack that claim as well. We're going to look at the, a kind verse, a verse that shows that Allah has put kindness between man and woman. And we're going to show how actually the Quran, uh, or at least love between man and woman, we're going to show how the Quran really falls short when you compare it to the Bible. But let's get to um, Surah 33, fascinating portion of scripture, of Islamic scripture. And some Christians don't like to call the Quran scripture because they don't believe it's scripture. And that's a legitimate point. Um, but they believe it's scripture. This is what they believe is their holy book. And we're going to look at their Quran and take it at face value. So when a Muslim friend comes to me and they've read that big equality verse, Surah 33, verse 35, they've read it through and say, see Beth, uh, it means we're equal. Look how Allah views us. And I say, oh, that's an interesting verse. Did you notice when we read through the verse, it never said how she's, um, God ad or Allah addresses them um, in life as a husband and wife or as a daughter, as a mother, which are the Islamic categories for a woman, as a sister. Uh, it never re refers to her alongside the man in, in uh, going to work or business. 
it only refers to her when she stands in judgment before Allah. Because it's in the context of if she is pious and she does her zakat, she gives her money, she does her salat, her prayers. Uh, it's only when she does the Islamic rituals and what Allah requires of her, then um, then he, is, he, he seems to uh, uh, talk to them on an equal setting. And then he says, you will receive a reward to both the man and the woman. But in the realities of life, the surrounding verses actually show us what the realities of life are. So that Surah 33:35 doesn't actually talk about the reality of life, everyday life, how she viewed. So then we go to the surrounding verses. Go to Surah 33:32. We were talking about how she's given stipulations. We talked about how the wiser Muhammad were encouraged to stay in the home, Surah 33, verse 33. And then how if Muhammad and Allah decreed a matter, you have no choice in the matter, uh, Surah 33:36. So the women of Muhammad and all the women under Muhammad's reign had no choice in the matter when Muhammad made a decision because he equated himself with God in this revelation. Then we come to a really troubling verse, Surah 33, verse 37. This is two verses after the equality verse. So in Surah 33, verse 37, you have um, a story, a very strange story, and there's been a lot, reams of Islamic material written on this, and Christian apologists have written about it. Atheists pick up on the story. And you see Muhammad, and you see um, his adopted son, Ali, and, and, and his adopted son has a wife, called, uh, uh, has, has a wife. and Zayed, sorry, his adopted son, Zayed, and, she, and she, he has a wife, Zainab. And there is in the hadith and in the stories of Muhammad, in the traditions of Muhammad, you have Muhammad entered their home um, unexpectedly and he saw her in a, st- a state of undress. And of course, he had feelings or something towards him, towards her. And suddenly you find in Surah 33, verse 37, Allah very helpfully gives him a revelation that allows, um, allows him or, or encourages and helps uh, Zayed, the son, to not desire his wife anymore, Zainab, so he divorces the wife and then the revelation comes that Allah can then take the wife and marry her himself. Now, Muslims will say this has nothing to do with any lust or anything like that. It is all to do with, uh, again, Allah is just helping Muhammad and showing that he's a superior prophet and all the rest of it. The problem is the stories of Islam, the hadith, the sayings, the descriptions, the asbab al-nuzul of this, of this particular verse, the context of revelation, they don't seem to imply that this is a pure motive or there's pure motives on Muhammad's part. And apart from the deeply immoral act that Allah, the God of all, if, 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 if he is the God of all the universe, which I don't believe he is, uh, just to put that in there. But Allah, the God that Muslims say is of the universe, he's supposed to be perfect. Are you telling me a perfect God would actually encourage a man to divorce his wife and the son, the son to divorce his wife and then give the wife to the adopted father? That is not acceptable in, in the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I help Muslims think through the immorality of this story. It is a deeply immoral story. Also, what does this say about Allah? That he gives a convenient revelation to Allah, to Muhammad, to, uh, to take his adopted son's wife for himself. What does that say about Allah? And what kind of moral God is this? Is this a moral God? And I say the evidence says absolutely not. It is not the holy God of the universe that we find in the Bible. Now, Surah 33, verse 50, again, there's just a few verses after the great equality verse. 
Um, it talks about Muhammad's privileges. It says that Muhammad, and the context of Revelation says that Muhammad had many women approaching him, and uh, women were offering themselves, and then there were wives, and there's stories in the Hadith, the sayings of Muhammad, and in the exegetes where you have Muhammad who goes to uh, sleep with one wife, and she's not there, so he decides to go to another wife, and he spends a bit more time. It's usually Aisha. That was his favorite child bride, and he favors Aisha, and he stays with Aisha longer. The wives all get upset about it. So Allah helps him. He gives him a revelation. In Surah um, 33, verse 50, it says that Allah gives him special privileges, that any woman that is offering themselves to Muhammad, or of course, uh, if Muhammad wants to take a woman, he is allowed to take them, and there's no limits. Do you remember earlier on in a, in a previous session, we talked about Surah 4.3, where it gives the polygamy verse. For the Muslim man, he can marry four wives. But here we have Muhammad marrying many, many women, way more than four. So in essence, he disobeys his own revelation. But of course, God seems to allow him to do that, the Islamic God. So he can take any woman who offers themselves to him. But then the very next verse says, um, then the very ver- uh, in verse 52, so verse 51, he can postpone and take whatever wife he wants. So 50, he can take the woman he wants and reject the woman he wants. Then 51, he can take whatever wife he wants for himself or postpone whatever wife, and that's his turn with her in the night. And then in verse 52, Muhammad is then limited on who he could take. So Allah finally puts in a bit of a border. He puts in a boundary that he can't begin to take on any more wives or go with whatever wife he wants. And there's a whole lots of um, context of revelation of why this is and, uh, and so on. And, and lots of domestic pain and situations in Muhammad's family. But it's Surah 3353 that I really would like to read. This is just a few verses after the big equality verse. Let's look at Surah 33 verse 53. If you have a Quran, open it up. This is fascinating. When you talk to a Muslim, and I I have dear Muslim friends, many of them believe this. They say Muhammad was a man of, uh, he was social, he was uh, hospitable, he he, uh, was a man to emulate. And of course, much of the Muslim world is hospitable. And so many people say this is truly Islamic. This is what Muhammad is like. This is what Islam is. So I'm going to read to you Surah 33. This is what it says. O you who believe, enter not the prophet's houses unless permission is given to you for a meal, not to wait for its preparation. So you enter Muhammad's house, but you only have permission. You cannot enter freely in how you want to. And then you don't, you don't really wait around for its preparation. But when you are invited, enter. And when you've taken your meal, disperse without sitting for a talk. Verily, such annoys the prophet and he is shy of asking you, but Allah is not shy of telling you the truth. But when you ask for anything you want, ask them from behind a screen that is pure for their hearts and your hearts. It is not, and it is not for you that you should annoy Allah's messenger, nor that you should ever marry his wives after him. Verily, Allah, that shall be an, with Allah, that is an enormity. Now, a bit of a long verse, but why have I read that? Because I want to show you what kind of man this is. I tell you folks, you don't need to go to the worst scenarios in the Quran to show what this man is really like. Just go to Surah 33, 53. Just show what, anti, what an antisocial man this is. This is not a man to emulate. This is not a man that is one of hospitality. This is not a man that opens up his home and welcomes everyone in. This is a man that uses Allah, his God, 
to manipulate situations so that he can be this a very unfriendly on his uh, this man who is not as hospitable this is quite serious because this goes against what most dear muslim friends believe most of our muslim friends have never read this verse and i tell you when i open up to a muslim friend they start reading it and they cannot believe what is in this verse but what's more what does it say about woman it says that you are to ask his wives from behind a screen these are the introductions of gender segregation so when the modernist muslim woman comes to you and the modernist muslim man says we can all mix together we don't have to do gender segregation point them to this verse hang on a minute there's a verse where allah your god says that you're to talk to his wives behind a screen they're not even to talk to the wives face to face they're behind a screen is these these verses that are all behind the gender segregation rules that we see in so much of islamic society and even in some of the islamic law and then what about his dear wives his wives um all of whom or most of whom not all most of whom were under 20 years old you will hear uh, many muslims say that uh, Uh, Muhammad's wives were treated well that he didn't it wasn't a lustful reason for why he took them on you will hear many people say that the wives were widows and so on and they were widows and they were people who had been abandoned or they were divorced and it gives the idea of these were mature women they weren't most of them were under 20 years old most of them were teenagers and many of them were widowed because of Muhammad's action it was Muhammad who widowed them it was Muhammad and his men who took in and killed the husbands and took them took the women as concubines and as slaves and also as married as to be married to if they converted to Islam more of that in the next session but right now i just want to show where it says here Allah's uh, you should not annoy Allah's messenger and then it says you can't marry any of his widows these are teenage girls including Aisha who he married at 6 or 7 years old depending on the source you read and who he consummated the marriage when she was 9 years old and this 9 year old was widowed at 18 years old and that means she was a teenager for the rest of her days after being in a deeply intimate relationship with a man and yet when he died she was never ever to allowed to be remarried or to remarry all these stipulations for muhammad against the woman or gender segregation against hospitality why do i show you this first because this first comes after the great equality verse so just when a muslim says look at this verse it ennobles women it makes men and women equal then introduce them to the surrounding verses and it shows a completely different scenario Now I want to just introduce to you a few more claims made by Muslims and then we'll we'll address it and we'll unpack it a little bit more. So it says um uh, in surah chapter 2. I I looked at surah chapter 2, did a fairly detailed analysis of surah chapter 2 and was um looking up in some Arabic with my Arabic teachers and looking into what it really said and I was putting out verses that dealt with um men and women. And um the great uh well-known uh modernist muslim amina wadud i've mentioned her before she she was the one who said we cut out or we say no to that verse surah 2 223 she says when you first open this book and this was certainly my experience it seems so male everything seems to be given to men it's written to men it's for men it appeals to men especially carnal nature and it just is for men and then she said but Allah is a god of of justice and mercy and she really believes that um Islam in its true form the Quran in its true spirit ennobles the position of woman 
And so she says, every time you come across a Quranic verse that is written to a man, oh mankind, we'd say in, in English, or uh, me, it says, oh men, and in English that can also include women in old-fashioned English, and the, some of our Bible translations have that. She says, every time you see the masculine plural, the masculine singular in the grammar, in the Arabic, it means it does include uh, women as well. It's just a male term, but it's gender neutral. That's how she talks about it. So I took, I took her interpretive method and I decided to apply it. And I applied it to Surah 2, just as an example. So as I was reading through Surah 2, I, I'm going to give you two examples and there are many of them. I came across, uh, again, those verses that she said seems to be written to men. Surah 2, verse 21, it says, Mankind be pious. It's in the masculine plural in the Arabic. It's going to get a bit technical here. And she says, oh, um, she says, this reverse refers to all human beings, not just to men. Oh, mankind. We have that term in English, and it means all human beings. I said, okay. Uh, it says, oh, mankind, and says, if you do this and this and this, you receive a reward. Unfortunately, uh, I took one verse, Surah 2, verse 21, oh, mankind. Just a couple verses later, in Surah, in Surah 2, verse 25, just a couple verses later, it talks about the kind of reward these people, these Muslims, these, these righteous Muslims will receive. And the reward that these righteous Muslims, O oh mankind, are going to receive are azwajahun mutaharatun. And the azwajahun mutaharatun are females, are heavenly females. So she says that the Quran is talking to men. But then it suddenly says that the rewards are talking to all human beings, excuse me. So talking to all human beings. And yet, just a few verses, it talks about these all human beings, the reward they're going to get are female maidens or female women. That's not a, a, a reward that any woman would want. So that's the first clue that it's talking just to men. Let me give you another example. Surah 2, verse 185. It says, he, you, in the masculine plural forms, he, you, O Muslims, you must observe the fast, um, the fast that they must do once a year in Ramadan doesn't use the word Ramadan in the, in the text, but that's what we know it as today. The plural is used, so she says, this must be all believers, just taking her interpretive method. In verse 187, it says this. So it's talking to the believers, and it talks to, it includes all believers. Then it says, they, to, to, in verse 187, they must not touch their women during the Ramadan. So it says, oh, believers, do the fast. So you think, oh, 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 believers, oh, mankind, do the fast. But they, the believers, must not touch their women. So it's addressing the believers and their women. The women are not included in the believers. The women are outside of, of who this verse is addressing. And you see this over and over and over again through the Quran. Uh, so, for example... There's other verses that talk about how man and woman um, must relate to one another. And you think, oh, nice verse. It talks to, it talks to men and women. And in one verse it says uh, to the believers, talking to the believers, they, the women, are a covering, a raiment for you and you for them. So again, it's separating the men away from the women. A little bit technical, but do you see how this Quran Whilst it may sound initially, what sounds male, then you might think, okay, it could mean females and males too. Then the context, a few verses later, or even tens of verses later, it'll show you that the verses are really not talking to women. It is only addressed to men. 
i.e. all the rewards the believers are given, many of them are pro-male. The women they get in heaven, so the Khuris they're going to get, the Azwajahun Mutaratun, those females in heaven, what they're going to get, all of it is pro-male uh, and is not, does not include women in the rewards. What about the big verse that Muslims love to go to, Surah 30, verse 21? Another claim. Um, see, look what the Quran says. It says that uh, men are to treat their wives kindly, as kindness and love between man and woman. The modern day term is love that is always used. This is what it says. He created for you helpmates that ye may find rest in them. And he ordained between you kindness and love and mercy. So the English translation says love and mercy. Uh, two th- comments there. Reflecting back to this interpretive method of Amina Wadud and many other modernists, look at that there again. It's not addressing both men and women. It is only addressing men. He created for you men uh, 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 helpmates so you might find rest in them. So the women are created for the men, but you find rest in the women. He ordained, he ordained between you love and mercy. Now, love in the English translations is not in the Arabic. It's only kindness. Actually, the Arabic term has sort of the idea of affection. He gave you affection between you, not love. Folks, do a comparison with Ephesians, where a man must love his wife as Christ loved the church. When you come to these concepts of love and kindness, kindness is good. It's a biblical idea. But the love, the sacrificial love that Christ shows all human beings, and especially of a husband to his wife, that sacrificial love, when the very beginning of the passage says, submit one to another, people forget that little verse in verse 21 of Ephesians 5, submit to each other, women to men, men love the wife as Christ loved the church. It's a very balanced theology, but it's all about sacrificial love to the point of death. That's how much love a man is to have for his wife. With Islam, there's no concept whatsoever in the whole Quran of the kind of sacrificial biblical love that you find in the Bible. For God to us and between man and woman, there is nothing in the Quran of the kind of love that you find in this beautiful book, the Bible. And do a comparison with Muslims. Help them see the difference. Help them see in Surah 434, if a woman is disobedient, he beats her. There is no love mentioned once in the Quran between a man and a woman, only kindness or affection. But in the Bible... It says in in 1 Peter very, very clearly, if a man is just harsh with his wife, just harsh, it's not even beating, just harsh, he says, his God says, his prayers are hindered. That's how serious it is. That's how serious it is to show that a a man's prayers are hindered um, when he is not just even beating, but just harsh with his wife. And there's many Christian men who've been under conviction because of that verse, because there are harsh Christian men out there. And they come under conviction when they see how God tells them to treat their wives. Now, I'm going to tell you a story of a friend of mine who is traveling through the Muslim world. I'm not going to say which country it is. It's an Arab-speaking country. um, And she was traveling through this country. And she herself is an ex-Muslim. She's a friend of mine. And she was there to uh, work with Christians in the country to help them know how to confidently communicate their faith with Muslims. It's a country where you can easily get kicked out of if you're overtly Christian and if you're proselytizing. It's a country where Christians potentially could be persecuted. But this lassie has no fear of that. 
And she was going to help both the indigenous Christians and also the, the, the Christians who come from other countries to take the gospel to the people in that land. Now, as she was traveling through, she came across a, uh, a situation in a home of a Muslim. And in that home of a Muslim, in walked uh, a, a woman who was terribly beaten up. She'd been hospitalized for weeks. As she came in, she began to tell her story to the Muslims who were all seated there in the, in the room because it's gender segregation, uh, to the Muslim women and also to the Christian women who were in that room. My friend was just listening. She told her story of how her husband had beaten her and, um, and they were all, of course, being very sorry for her. The Christians were trying to comfort her, be pastoral. But my dear friend, my ex-Muslim friend, she remembered two things. She remembered, okay, I love this Muslim woman. She's made in the image of God, but I also love truth. And all these people, Muslims and Christians, are loving her and caring for this Muslim woman who's been terribly beaten up by her husband to the point where she almost lost her life. But nobody is telling her why she was beaten up. And she had a Quran in her bag, and she knew it was because of this book. She knew it was because of Surah 434 that that husband had beaten her wife to a pulp. Now, I'm not saying that other people don't beat their wives of other religions. Yes, they do. But this book stands against it, the Bible. But the Quran teaches it. And so she's in this home and she's talking with this, this broken Muslim woman. And she thinks, I've got to speak up. I've got to say something. And she goes, my dear Muslim sister, friend, not sister in religion, just in, in humanity. My dear Muslim friend, are you aware that what happened to you is what Allah has decreed for your husband? Are you aware that Allah has told your husband to beat you like this? And of course, the Muslim woman is, is shocked and the Christian women wish the ground would open up because they're so embarrassed. And they think, why is she saying this? We need to just pass to this woman. But my friend knew she had to speak the truth because she knew it was a way to help the Muslim women in that room, including the one that was damaged, to see the origins of her pain. It was found in the God of Islam. And so she said, it's this book. She opens up the Quran. She reads Surah 434. She shows how uh, categorically a husband can beat his wife and he can discipline her. And first of all, the woman responded, oh, no, no, it's because I didn't feed my husband well enough. It's because I didn't cook the food well enough. And she was excusing her husband. And my friend kept saying, my Christian friend kept saying, no, my friend, it is because of this book. Your God has told you that your husband can beat you. Your God has told you your husband can abuse you. But the Lord Jesus Christ, he never says to abuse a woman. The Lord Jesus Christ says in his word that if a man is harsh with his wife, his prayers are hindered. All the Christians were dying at that point. They just didn't believe what was happening. They thought she was being too harsh on this broken woman. And my dear friend turned to this broken woman, kept telling her the truth, kept exposing what it taught. And at the end of that day together, that Muslim woman became a Christian. And you know what happened at the end of that day? As they were leaving, all the other Christians said, turn to my Christian friend, my ex-Muslim Christian friend, and said, you should never have done that. And then the Muslim, ex-Muslim girl, the woman had just walked out of Islam, the woman who was beaten by her husband, she turned to my, my ex-Muslim friend and she said, you are so kind, you are so kind. Because my friend, she remembered truth and love, truth and love together. The power of the truth of this beautiful book, the Bible, and the heinous 
teaching that is in this book that hurts and wounds the woman. And so folks, point out the truth of this book. The truth, when I say truth, I mean the truth of how utterly false it is and the beautiful truth only found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Bring them out of this false religion of Islam into this beautiful book, into this beautiful religion, the one of the Lord Jesus Christ.